Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning. Very glad you're here. I extend a special welcome to those of you visiting with us for the first time. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to seek, to find, and to share. Intricate and untraceable, weaving and interweaving, dark strand with light, designed beyond all spiderly contrivance to link, not to entrap. Elation, grief, joy, contrition, entwined, shaking, changing, forever forming, transforming. All praise, all praise to the great web. People ask, if you all don't have a creed, if you're like the Quakers and there's no creed, no list of things you have to believe, what is it that holds you together? You have people with backgrounds and practices from all the major world religions, including neo-paganism and secular humanism. What, what is it at the center? One of the things that's at the center for this congregation is its mission. So we wrote it on the wall and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. The gift. To pull the metal splinter splinter from my palm, my father recited a story in a low voice. I watched his lovely face and not the blade. Before the story ended, he'd removed the iron sliver I thought I'd die from. I can't remember the tale, but hear his voice still, a well of dark water, a prayer. And I recall his hands, two measures of tenderness he laid against my face, the flames of discipline he raised above my head. Had you entered that afternoon, you would have thought you saw a man planting something in a boy's palm, a silver tear, a tiny flame. Had you followed that boy, you would have arrived here, where I bend over my wife's right hand. Look how I shave her thumbnail down, so carefully she feels no pain. Watch as I lift the splinter out. I was seven when my father took my hand like this, and I did not hold that shard between my fingers and think, metal that will bury me, christen it little assassin, or going deep for my heart. And I did not lift up my wound and cry, Death visited here. I did what a child does when he's given something to keep. I kissed my father. Now's the time in our worship when we breathe deeply together. We seek in the coming silence that still place inside where we might be comforted where we might receive the strength to comfort one another.
our hearts are full today with thoughts of our fathers or of being a father. Many feelings are there. Our hearts are heavy today because of the racist killings in South Carolina. We would like to turn back time so that we can prevent it. That has never been possible. In the stillness and in the silence, we seek clarity and wisdom, strength to stand up against unjust structures, the compassion toward ourselves and others that is needed in order to make change. Let us enter the silence together. There's an old Navajo tale um, called Father Sky and Mother Earth. And the version that I have is told by a storyteller named Hoski Benali. He says, Mother Earth and Father Sky had their differences at one time. Mother Earth was saying, everything here belongs to me, plants. Four-leggeds, two-leggeds, the sea, everything belongs to me, and I don't need anybody else. And so they decided that they weren't going to interact for four years, Father Sky and Mother Earth. And during that time, everything began to change. It got, the air got thin and there was no rain. A lot of creation began to disappear. The vegetation, some of the two-leggeds, four-leggeds, and some of the creepy crawlers. And eventually, there was not very much left. And so they said at that time, there were four plants. There were four plants and a bird left. And the four plants and the bird went to Mother Earth and said, you know, because of this difference with Father Sky, we're the ones who are suffering. So Mother Earth said, we need to give a message to Father Sky that we need to make amends and we need to bring things back to the way they were and make corrections on our own selfishness. And so they sent this bird up to Father Sky He flew way up, kept flying until he disappeared. And then four days later, they say, from the south direction, they saw a rain cloud and they heard thunder. And the second thunder got closer. Third thunder came up almost above them. And then fourth thunder right above them. And they heard that thunder and saw that lightning. And out of that lightning came this bird. Flew back down to Mother Earth and brought rain, brought moisture, brought the change in the air and the atmosphere, and everything began to get moist again. Everything began to breathe easy again, and all the creation that had been lost and vanished began to reappear. 
And one storyteller said when the differences were resolved, they decided that there would be male and female in all the plants, and all the two-leggeds would be male and female, and all the four-leggeds and creepy-crawlers all would be male and female both. Okay, when I was at Duke taking Religion 101, I knew a lot. (laughs) I knew a lot about Christianity and really about everything. And um, and the professor was this very thoughtful and liberal man named, I can't remember his name, but he gave us a midterm exam, you know, those little blue exam booklets, and the question was, what is the meaning of life? So I wrote, you know, 10 pages on the meaning of life. This is my answer. I knew what it was. Um. And when I got it back, there was a big B minus on the front. I know. That was my thought, too. I clutched my pearls. Because, you know, I was used to getting A's, except in calculus and chemistry, okay. But um, I wasn't happy. And so I went to see him, and I said, "I, I would like to know what I could do to improve, please. And he said, you could ask more questions. And I thought, okay. (laughs) So I asked questions in class, and then when it came time to the final, the question was, what is the meaning of death? I wrote 10 pages of questions. I didn't write one thing with a period. (laughs) Everything had a question mark. And I got an A. So, talking about motherhood and fatherhood today, talking about male and femaleness today, I kind of feel like the chastened young woman who wrote a whole exam book full of questions, Um, only I'm way far more chastened than I was then because I've lived way longer. Um, So I've got a lot of questions. I don't have a lot of answers for you, but I might tell you some stuff that you already knew, but you forgot that you know, so here you go. Oh, yeah. So I used to know a lot about maleness and femaleness, and what was which. I grew up in the tail end of that madman time when it was a compliment to a girl to say, you think like a man. And so I heard that several times, and I thought, okay. That's, I guess that's a compliment until I got, um, you know, radicalized, and then it made me want to burn something down. And I think that maleness and femaleness has not changed in millennia uh, biologically, but it has changed a lot culturally. And I think it's interesting to watch men imitate women. Like, if you just ask a random guy, okay, read this like a girl— and see how men imitate women, and to see, you know, if you say to a woman, okay, act like a guy for a while. What we, how we do when we imitate one another is like an exaggeration of some of the worst qualities of each. And it makes me think that we, you know, when you, when you watch a guy imitate a woman, um, I read a lot of audiobooks or listen to a lot of audiobooks, and 
I, you know, when they have the male actors reading the audiobooks and they're, they're acting a female part, they always talk like this. There's a very kind of weird, breathless voice that they give the women, and they don't have any support. And I don't know of any woman in the world that I've ever heard talk like that, and I don't think they have either. And I think, what is that? And likewise, when you have a female actor portraying a male voice, they always go like this. They sound very pompous. And I don't know if I've ever heard many men, except my granddaddy, talk like that. (laughs) So I think we have ideas that stick in our heads and they have nothing to do with observation of reality. So... I just want to talk about reality for a minute. What goes into making men and women. Okay, so there's the sex that you're assigned at birth. And that has to do with um, what your genitalia look like and what your chromosomes um, probably are. And uh, often, 99 out of 100 times, uh, everybody is pretty standard. But the statistics show that 1 out of 100 babies has... A non-standard body in terms of maleness or femaleness. And about one out of every 2,000, they say, require um, surgery to correct genital anomalies. And I put quotations around those things, even though I hate air quotes, but I put them around those things because... Now, there are people who were born intersex, which is what the term is now, who are mad about the corrective surgery and wish they could have just lived their lives with the, um, the gentles, as we call them in my family, with the gentles they were born with. So sex is what you're assigned at birth, and for most people, it goes with the genitals that they have. Gender identity is a totally different thing. Gender identity is what you feel like you are inside. And for 99 out of 100 people, your gender identity matches with the sex you were assigned at birth. So things are easy in that road for you. Um, You have other difficulties, but it's not that particular one. So others, like one out of 100 people, you may have a male body, but you feel like a woman inside. Or you may have a female body, but you feel like a man inside. And it's uncomfortable. You feel like you're having to dress in drag every day to accommodate people's expectations of folks with the particular body that you were born with. And a lot of times you have a a strong... I'm so tongue-tied about this because all my terms have just gone to, um, I don't know what a polite word for it is, um, mist. And um, so you may be a a girl with a lot of uh, qualities that other people would say are boyish, and so the term is a tomboy. You're a tomboy doesn't necessarily mean you wish you were a boy. It just means you're a girl who acts like this. And then there are lots of little boys who have qualities, like the kid in our story, that um, people assign to females. And so there, are, there really is no kind of admiring term for that, like tomboy. 
uh, those boys are called all kind of terrible things. <coughs> and it doesn't necessarily mean that they wish they were a girl. They are just a boy who likes these things. Or they might wish they were a girl. We can't tell from looking. And it's always been a mystery to some people about why boys who act more girlish can't just butch up and act like they're supposed to act because it's so shameful in our society. It's not shameful for a girl who acts like a boy, but there's shame attached to a boy who acts like a girl because femaleness is lesser in our culture, and why would anybody want to be that? So there's your biological sex, and then there's your gender identity, and then there's your sexual preference, which is, again, totally different from any of those other things. I'm telling you all stuff you already know. I, I know. You might prefer boys or girls, or you might prefer boyish girls, or you might prefer girlish boys, or you might really like boyish boys or girlish girls, whatever any of that means. But the problem is, it's hard to talk about, but we kind of all know it when we see it, most of the time. And you might be a woman in a man's body, feel like a woman, and your preference is still for other women or for men. And if you change your presentation from male to female, as many people, some people do, you might still prefer women. So are you a lesbian now that you've changed to a woman and you prefer women? Or were you a straight guy before? What These terms vanish as you look at the reality so it's okay to be confused. It's only recently that we've begun to even talk about all of this stuff. It's always been around, and many cultures have language for a third sex or an intersex or um, between genders person. We just don't have good language to talk about it with. So apparently people fall along a continuum of gender. That's how we think about it with hyper-maleness at this side and hyper-femaleness at this side. and But I, you know, I guess that I've met men who would say, yep, I'm man all the way through. All my qualities are man qualities, and I've always felt perfectly comfortable with all the cultural expectations of manness. But I've met a lot of other men. Most men I've met are like, you know, I always felt a little weird almost all men, and they're like, you know, my dad wanted me to be this and that, and I just wasn't, or um, I often was confused about when I could call myself a man, or what made a man, and I, I got models, you know, there was John Wayne for my dad's generation, and there was Alan Alda from uh, my mom's generation, and then there was, um, I don't know who's a good man for my gender, like Brad Pitt, I, you know... And so sometimes we also slide along the continuum of gender as we age, and sometimes we slide along the continuum of sexual preference, and sometimes we slide, we definitely slide biologically as we age. Just here to tell you that right now. <laughs> I remember during my studies to become a pastoral counselor, I had um, many men who were my mentors, and one of them was teaching a class on um, 
your anima and your animus, which are Jungian terms from the 30s and 40s about your male side and your female side. And so we took a test to tell um, how strong our female side was and how strong our male side was. And I started um, raising my hand when I saw that on the male side, you know, you're supposed to check which of these qualities are yours. On the male side were independence, initiative, leadership, and logic. On the female side were receptivity, emotion, being a follower, and nurturing. And I didn't like that I could be a nurturing leader and that they said that meant I had a male side. I just said, you know, listen, I am a woman, and I'm a woman who's very logical, and I'm a woman who has a lot of leadership qualities, and I'm a woman who's also receptive, and I'm also um, nurturing, and I am gentle. <laughs> and he wrote me up that I had authority problems. <laughs> And I don't know whether authority problems are male or female. <laughs> so I'm the mother of two wonderful, wise, handsome, and funny sons. And I resolved as a feminist mom, as many of my friends did as well, to protect them from role stereotyping. I dressed them in all different colors, never pink, never blue. And I wouldn't tell people whether it was a girl baby or a boy baby. And so they didn't know whether to say, oh, so beautiful or so alert and strong. And we watched Sesame Street and videos, and there were no toy weapons in the house except for the guns that they made out of sticks and bread and cheese. <laughs> and there were swords. But, you know, I've always liked guns and swords, too. And I loved my cowgirl six-shooters and my fringed cowgirl outfit when I was little. And I always wanted a sword because I wanted to be um, a warrior. And I always wanted a bow and arrow. And girls could have bow and arrows. In the in all, Maid Marian had a bow and arrow, I think. So I loved that. Um, so I got my children lots of swords. We even had a He-Man sword that when you... You hold it up like this and press a little button. It went, and it, it went clank, clank when you swung it. Anyway. And I wanted them to be good at sword fighting, and I wanted them to be good at conversation, and um, which in my family was not male or female. I came from a whole family of talkers. I don't know if you could tell that. And... Um, so every time we would have a meal together, I would say, they would say, may I be excused, please? And I would say, after you've asked everybody at the table two questions and answered, listen to their answers. And so they got pretty good at, how was your day? What were you wearing? What did he say? What did she say? And so they got about five or six questions that they could ask. And when they were in college, they were like, Ma, thank you so much for teaching me how to talk to girls. 
Because all I have to say is, how was your day? What were you wearing? (laughs) What did he say? What did she say? I did hear one son on the phone with his friend girl saying, he was about 11, I can't believe Mrs. Mackey had on those orange stripes with her tan. It just didn't go at all. (laughs) I ran up against seemingly random distinctions. Um, I would say, your Hulk doll is on the floor, and he would go, action figure. Once at the paint store, I asked the man if he could find the recipe for this color blue, and he was like, formula. I'm like, sorry. At a sad part of some movie, Air Bud or something like that, um, I was crying and my older son smirked at me. And I said, what, don't you think that was sad? And he was like, ma. Here's what boys do with their feelings. We push them down and push them down and push them down and then we poop them out. (laughs) (laughs) And I was badly caught up in the stereotypes even though I thought I wasn't. I was at a party. My husband was, my then husband was a Presbyterian minister and he had a Presbyterian church. We were at a party for um, something, I can't remember what, and all the women were in the kitchen talking about diets and all the men were in the living room watching the game. And I was like, I don't fit either place. Um, So I went in the living room and tried to watch the game and not ask dumb questions about football. And, um, and I was, I was talking to one of the guys, and I can't remember um, how it came up, but I, I had a revelation because I thoughtlessly um, said something like, oh, yeah, I'm in here with the guys with all the power. You know, you got all the power, and you got the remote, and you can watch whatever you want to. And I was, like, doing that thing that you do when you're imitating um, and doing the remote. And, and, the, and the look on a couple of the guys' faces broke something in me because they looked at me like, oh my God, I wish I had power. Oh my God, I can't believe you think, you know, I'm just, I'm like trying to be a dad and I'm trying to be a guy and I'm, I'm going to work and I'm not making enough money and I've got a noose around my neck every day. And uh, I would love to be that, whatever that is you just imitated. My dad um, loves classical music, cries at concerts, never served in the military, loves to talk, not really converse in the sense that he says a little something and then you say a little something that has to do with what he says, and then he says a little something that has to do with what you just said. No. It's like he asks the question and you go, I don't know, and then he tells you the answer. But it's always interesting because one of his questions, and we were up there visiting a couple years ago, and this, so the, there was a lull in the conversation, and suddenly he goes, what is two? 
and uh, and then you go and he goes brilliant <laughs> and then he starts talking about the abstract uh, mathematical concept of numbers and not the silent type uh, lots of dads even the stereotypical dads in movies are not the silent type you know the italian dads the jewish dads the greek dads not the silent type i don't know how anybody who knows real dads came up with this kind of strong, silent, distant dad. I know there were a lot of them like that, but I'm kind of thinking that it's not maleness that is that. I think it's PTSD from the war. And I think a lot of people my age were raised with fathers who were struggling with undiagnosed PTSD. And that's why the distance and the shutdown and the tempers, I don't think that's maleness. I think that's damage. And commercials paint fathers as these clueless couch potatoes. I mean, as the mother of sons, I used to get so mad watching the commercials because the dad would be like, no, I don't know where the, you know, I don't know anything. And um, I'd be like, boys, you have, to, you have to create a male anti-defamation league to fight against this image of males on the commercials. So some say there is this basic difference. Women bear children and feed them from our bodies. Not all women. Many women. Men have greater strength and size and a strong urge to protect. Not all men. Many men. But all the qualities and characteristics generally turn masculine and feminine can be embodied by either sex. I think that men also have a strong desire to nurture, and I know women have a strong desire to protect. I mean, mama bear is not a term that comes from nothing. You threaten anybody's loved ones, and you're going to see mama bear, if you're lucky. And we need masculinity and femininity, and I think what it is is that we all have both, and everybody knows those are constantly changing, and the ways we define them are just nonsensical. But there are those different energies. There's at least two different energies, maleness and femaleness, and I'm willing to be open to there being three or four other energies. And we get hungry for a balance of all of those energies in ourselves and our lives. We want softness and intuition and emotion and collaboration and distance and adventure and daring and listening and initiating and honor and warrior and protector, fierceness, beauty, gentleness, criticism, drive. And why do we need to assign male or female to any of those qualities? And I'm not even sure it's really a continuum with hyper male on one side, some kind of theoretical hyper male, and some kind of theoretical hyper female on the other side. Um, I think maybe it's more like a circle, more like a, a recipe or a formula. Um, involving chromosomes and gentles and culture and upbringing and inclination, personality, sexuality, sense of oneself. Maybe we can just look at one another with curiosity and look at our babies with curiosity and say, who are you? What are you going to be? I know that at your heart you are pure love, and I would like to be that myself. Will you say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice? We extinguish this flame 
but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the water and ebb and flow. Remember the way of the earth and grow. Go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at www.austinuu.org.